Welcome back to the Health Longevity Secret Show, and I'm your host, Dr. Robert Lufkin. Animal-based nutrition is all over the news. I believe that it is possible to have a healthy lifestyle with a variety of nutritional styles, all the way from purely vegan to carnivore. On the other hand, it's also possible to make either types of these diets unhealthy by consuming processed foods. The Meat Mafia officially began in January 2022 with one mission in mind, share their wealth of practical experiences in transforming our own health through an active animal-based lifestyle. Animal-based living emphasizes the elimination of processed foods and the consumption of natural whole foods. As the name suggests, most of these foods come from animal sources, from beef to honey. In their belief, locally sourced animal-based foods optimize personal and planetary health. And now, please enjoy this conversation with Mr. Salazzo and Mr. Clemenza of the Meat Mafia. Hey, Brett and Harry, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. We're excited to be here. This it's awesome is, to be here, Rob. Oh, thanks, Harry. This this is so great. I'm a I'm a huge fan of your podcast and, and newsletter, and it's it's wonderful to get you on this program so that people in our audience can uh, learn a little bit about your message and all the great things you're doing. Before we, I, I, there's all kinds of stuff I want to talk about about carnivore and 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 meat and where we get it and the the best ways to do it. But before we do that, I, maybe we could just take a moment and each of you could share a little bit of uh, how you came to be interested in this in this fascinating area. Yeah, Brett, why don't you start off and I'll uh, I'll come in and close it out. Yeah, no, perfect. And so for for the audience, so Harry and I have been really good friends for a long time. So we actually played college baseball together at a small school up in Boston called Babson. And that's how we had initially become really close friends. And we both have had our own separate nutritional journeys that have kind of led us together in like the formation of the Meat Mafia, which is it's been a pretty cool experience. Um, but but just for myself, my my interest in nutrition really started um, through some of my autoimmune issues that I had. Um, so I, I grew up kind of like tip, great parents, a lot of home cooked meals, but definitely fell more into that like standard American diet type approach. Um, I always played baseball and sports at a high level. So I think I, I justified my eating style because I was very active. Um, and so, you know, going into college, I definitely fell into that Western lifestyle where I was probably drinking too much alcohol. I was eating too much fried food, too many processed carbohydrates. I was stressed out. I wasn't sleeping enough. And uh, in 2016, I got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, uh, which is an autoimmune disease that affects your colon. Um, and it's caused by chronic inflammation. And so for lack of a better term, you kind of just get these ulcers in your colon and you don't process food well. You go to the bathroom all the time. I was going to the bathroom like 20 to 30 times a day when I was really flared up. Um, had a bunch of skin issues as well, too. So it was, it was pretty gnarly stuff and um, ended up going on uh, medication that I was supposed to be on for the rest of my life. So I was supposed to get the medication via an infusion. Um, the medication cost $50,000 per infusion. So you can do the math on how much that I was costing the medical system let alone the millions of other people that have autoimmune diseases that need to be on this stuff. So um, right around 2019, I started seeing on social media, this carnivore diet started to become popularized and people were talking about how they were healing these su supposedly incurable autoimmune conditions, uh, Crohn's, colitis, IBS, eczema, psoriasis, et cetera, um, from a meat-based diet. And I, you know, I initially thought that, you know, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Isn't saturated fat bad for you? You know, isn't red meat bad for the environment? It causes heart disease, cancer, all this other stuff, classic narrative that we're taught. But I was very intrigued by these people that were curing these diseases. So clearly it was working. And I was at a point where I had been down, you know, I've been taking medication for five, six years. I was willing to do anything just to just to try and get myself out of this inflamed state. So I ended up doing a carnivore diet for about two months where I ate all animal products. So it was mostly beef, eggs, chicken, 
um, some salt and some spices and water and, and coffee. So like very, very minimalized approach. And literally within a few weeks, um, my stomach, all I felt like I'd finally gotten the inflammation out of my system. My skin cleared up, my mental health improved, my physique improved. And in as of 2021, I have eliminated all inflammation, all microinflammation. I've gotten off all my medication. So basically I've gotten off, I was from being extremely dependent on this westernized medical system to now I feel better than I've ever felt. And so that that was kind of what sparked it for me of how diet and lifestyle can cure these things that are supposed to be incurable. And I think a lot of our goal with the meat mafia is to try and make stories like this less and less common, just so we have everyone using food and lifestyle as, as our as our true form of medicine. Um, so that's a little bit of information about me. And then Harry, why don't you go ahead and tell your story? Yeah, and uh, I think you know when I think about where we're at right now, I, I think about it like that Steve Jobs quote where he talks about connecting the dots, looking backwards, and like everything we're doing right now makes so much sense to me. Looking at my path and Brett's path, so. I would say my interest in health really started around athletics as well. So I was uh, big into the gym in high school from freshman year onwards. I was really focused on performing in high school, but also having athletic goals after that. So playing collegiately. And for me, I was immediately hooked on the gym aspect of health, but there was definitely something missing in terms of the nutrition aspect. And so um, I was really optimizing in the gym. Like I was going to the gym, like my friends would joke with me and be like, Oh, do you want to hang out? And then <laughs> like, I could never hang out. Cause I was always going to the gym to train. And, uh, my junior year rolls around and I start getting terrible acne. And I attributed, I attributed that to genetics, um, all these other, you know, genetics, all the things they tell you, right. Um, being in the gym and sweating, but what I really wasn't paying attention to was my diet. And so ultimately I end up, um, getting on Accutane and looking back, there was huge gaps in my nutrition that I should have been trying to focus on to eliminate some of these problems I was having with my skin. It was just terrible acne. And, um, but, but ultimately I, I ended up trying to, or I ended up going down the route of taking Accutane and dealing with that. Um, but looking backwards and knowing what I know now, I would have spent much more time on the nutrition aspect. Um, you know, I, my mom, similar to Brett, like very similar upbringing um, in regards to family meals, well-cooked meals, but there were still just like these gaps. I would go to school. We would have pizza day every other Friday. Um, I was eating, I mean, the activity level that I had, I was eating like crazy amounts of food, but nothing that was very good, nourishing um, actually providing me with what I needed. So I, I actually attribute a lot of the problems that I have with my skin to that diet that I was mostly eating at school, which was like nachos, pizza, sandwiches, all these things. And so, you know, performance wise, I was still performing really well. And that was really the spark of my interest in just like this health and how to optimize for my health. So I get to college, um, I get on a paleo diet my freshman year and my teammates are like looking at me, like it was me and one of my buddies and my other teammates are like, you guys are freaks. Like you guys are focused on nutrition whereas no, I mean, no one else is really giving any sort of uh, thought about what they were putting into their bodies. But that was when the light bulb went off for me, which was like, this is the piece that I've been missing. Um, got in the best shape of my life. I was performing well, um, ultimately ended up uh, stop stopping playing baseball after my second year. But health was always a fundamental part of my just being I, I always just it's the bedrock of how I operate. I need to be active, eating well. And so transition fast forward kind of into my professional career. I worked uh, in, in private equity, real estate, um, demanding hours. And I sort of started to lose track of my health a bit. So within the first six years of my career, I started not feeling like myself. I'd lost the physique and that mental acuity that I had built up through just being a very active person. And at that time, Brett and I start getting into endurance sports together. And I think that was kind of the snowball momentum that I needed to start getting re-engaged re with what I was eating, how I was treating my body. And so Brett and I ran a few uh, 70.3 Ironmans together. And then ultimately that uh, that experience uh, led us to this past fall, which was when we ran a full distance Ironman together. But Kind of during COVID was really when I started to sink my teeth back into the nutrition side of things. 
um, went on a keto diet, low carb. Within a month, I was back in the best shape of my life, had gotten control of all the things that I was starting to really feel like we're slipping in the wrong direction, lost like 20 pounds. So really just kind of focused on that. And then that really led us into what we're doing now, which is uh, writing and talking about these nutrition topics that I think are somewhat polarizing to some communities. But I think the fundamentals of what we're talking about is like eat real foods. And we uh, we've, we've both had our encounters with the medical system uh, in our own ways. And we've both had our own kind of uh, fulfilling and empowering experiences around nutrition. So it's something that we're both very passionate about. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's amazing how you, you both have transformed your health and, and overcome these various health conditions just by, um, by primarily at least manipulations in, in your nutrition. What is, what is it about the nutrition or what, what, what is the nutritional plan that that you're advocating? I, you're hearing things about carnivore or keto or low carb. What is it that that you're advocating, and what makes it so healthy? I think we could both probably tag team this pretty well, Dr. Lufkin. I think for both of us, you know, this our whole brand has evolved very quickly, right? We honestly started writing about some of our own stories with nutrition and concepts that we found to be interesting in January. So you, when you think about it, things things have evolved a lot. And I think what we're very mindful of is we want to offer up different approaches of dietary methods, lifestyle methods that could help people get into better shape. But we don't want to like wag our finger or be dogmatic of a one size approach fits all because there are a lot of different approaches that work well, right? Some people thrive on paleo. Some people do well on a ketogenic diet. Some people tinker with their fats. Some people that have really bad autoimmune conditions or they're trying to lose 100 plus pounds, a carnivore restriction diet is really good. Some people are great with pescatarian. And then there's even some people that are plant-based that are metabolically thriving. Um, I think those people are a little bit fewer and far, far between than the animal-based community. But I think a lot of what it comes down to for us is focusing on eating real foods. And so our definition of real foods is any combination of meat, fish, eggs, some fruits, some non-toxic vegetables, um, some raw dairy, honey. And it's really on you to tinker and self-experiment and figure out what ratios of those things work best. Um, I'm not going to speak for Harrison, but he'll tell you firsthand. I think the lower carb approach works the best for both of us. That's where we've had the most success. Um, but I think a lot of it comes down to you know cooking your own meals, cooking with healthy fats, sourcing from your local farmer, those are kind of like the hills that we're willing to die on. And we want to give you optionality and give you different options, but give you the ability to experiment and find the best approach that works for you. Um, Harrison, what do you think I missed there? What, what else do you want to cover? Yeah, I think just the the general framework in which we think about it is, you know, when you think about the world of food, you kind of have your real foods and then you have food-like substances mm. that are manuf highly manufactured, highly processed. and when you can eliminate that one highly processed food, food group and just focus on the real foods, then you can really start to get into the nitty gritty of like, which of these foods should I be eating more of? And for us, we both had a lot of success really dwindling that down to a carnivore approach and eating very strict through an elimination diet and then reintroducing some foods back in and sort of this self-experimentation mindset where you're going... I need to figure out what works best for me. I'm different than, you know, every person that I walk past on the street. And so by having that approach, you know, I, I'll speak for Brad. I know he was dealing with a, a very sensitive issue and he was able to figure out exactly what triggers some of his autoimmune issues. So, and for me, it, it was different, but similar where I got down to this carnivore diet was thriving. And then slowly started introducing some foods that were real foods, but just you know, seeing how they engage with my body. So for me, I think everything that Brett spoke to about eating real foods, mostly animal-based, I think for us is really just like where you're going to be thriving, but the around the edges, the 5% on either side is where everyone's a little bit different. And I think um, kind of having that elimination diet, self-experimentation mentality gives you uh, the roadmap to figure out what works best for you. Yeah, I, I love the idea of the personalization and customize it, customizing it to the individual, what you're saying is so that 
that I think everyone would agree that processed foods are are not healthy. And uh, other than the manufacturers of processed foods who advocate it, pretty much uh, there's consensus about that getting rid of processed foods is good. And then, and then what you're saying, you, you may, you may, some people will do dairy and some people won't based on their own uh, constitution and, and other factors as well. I like that. What, what sort of resistance are you, are you meeting with this? I mean, you've had dramatic results with your own personal health. Mm-hmm. Why isn't everybody embracing this approach to eating? What what pushback do you do you guys find about this? Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of people there's um there's I think different levels of access point to eating more animal based. I think a lot of people view it as potentially a higher cost way of eating. Uh one of the things we talk about is how healthcare costs and food costs should be thought of in the same group where 50 years ago, healthcare costs were much lower, food costs were higher, and that's actually inverted. So if we think about those things in the same light, which is ultimately, I mean, I think about my food as insurance on my health. I, sh- I, I won't go to the doctor as many times as people um, my age 20 years from now, because I'm focusing on the food aspect. So I'm willing to pay a little bit of a premium for that now, understanding that it'll pay off in the long run. So I think one of the things I hear a lot is just the cost of eating animal based, which I also believe to be a, a little bit of a misnomer. I think that you can easily eat an animal based diet uh, at the same or similar cost to a standard American diet, which is generally highly processed, not satiating. If you're eating these nutrient rich foods, you will be satiated. You won't be snacking all the time on on the junk that's in your uh, pantry. So um, that's just one that that I think I hear a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's um, and we had um Dr. Luckman, we had Rob Wolf on the podcast. And to Harrison's point, I think was it was it Rob Wolf Harrison that was talking about how like on a per ounce basis, like a Hershey bar is way more expensive than grass fed, grass finished meat, or was it someone else? Oh man, it was somebody else. Was it well to I, I forget who it was, but it was such a good point. <laughs> who was saying that? Uh it was such a good point. I'll I'll look it up. You talk. Yeah. But I think but that- I think go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I was, I was going to say, I think everything Harrison covered is spot on. And I think to even take it a step further, I think a big hindrance to transitioning towards this style of eating is just the decades and upon decades of misinformation around red meat, animal products, what these things are doing to you from a nutri- nutritional perspective and also what they're doing to the environment. And then as we've, as we've gone deeper down the rabbit hole, we've just found out that there's so much misinformation out there. And in fact, you know, red meat is it's scientifically proven. It's some of the most nutrient dense food, some of the most bioavailable protein you can nourish your body with. And also, if we actually raise our cattle the right way, it's unbelievable for the environment and cattle and ruminants are a very necessary part of the ecosystem. So a lot of what we've been trying to do with the meat mafia is to is to write threads and put out nutritional content and do podcasts like this to correct the narrative and give people the right information to realize, hey, eating eating more animal protein is actually going to be great for you in the long term. Getting more sat- quality saturated fat is going to be great for you in the long term. Um, but a lot of the issue is that we kind of have this mental construct of what a plate of food should look like by Western society. Like I remember when I first started going carnivore, I thought the concept of just eating steak was so crazy, right? I think a lot of people have that the first time because we're used to eating sandwiches and chips and soda and having this like balanced plate. So we just try and, you know, keep giving people just a lot of practical information, a lot of history and allow them to make the decision on their own. But it's like, we are, we're, we're all up against the, you know, almost 50 plus years of misinformation around animal products and saturated fat. And we're just trying to correct the narrative on that. Yeah. And going back to what you said on the cost too, it's so difficult to assign costs to different foods because our, Number one, number one plant crop, soybean and corns are heavily subsidized by the government. Uh, and then, you know, and those are potentially unhealthy foods when they're consumed as uh, high fructose corn syrup. And then they're fed, fed to the, fed to our animals and we wind up eating them that way. But yeah, all those, all those factors, uh, play a role. One thing, um, with your nutrition approach, have you um, 
have you look have you is uh narrowing your eating window or fasting a part of your program yeah fasting is something that i have had a lot of success with in the past i typically am eating two meals a day that are a little bit bigger and i won't typically be eating until afternoon uh sometimes that that varies but i've i've enjoyed and there was a period where i was very very regimented around some fasting longer term fasting protocols I think it's a great way to kind of reset your gut. And I personally have found that fasting improves my mental clarity and mental acuity. And so incorporating that is just a tool that I'll use frequently um, every now and then. I don't do it as regularly, the longer term fast now, but I do think that there's a huge benefit for that. Yeah. Yeah. Even as far as, go ahead. Yeah. Even as far as saving money, uh, I, I've, I've stopped eating breakfast and I usually don't eat lunch and I find, well, you know, I can, I can spend a little more on that one meal a day because I, you know, I, I didn't spend as much earlier. So it actually puts money in my pocket and makes me a little healthier, uh, when I do that. But yeah, so, so, um, yeah, fasting is something that, uh, can be added to any sort of program here. Yeah. And, and I think too, if you're, if you're going low carb, there's a benefit to it as well in terms of getting into that fat ad- adaptation phase where you're a little bit more uh, in tune with burning fat instead of carbs as fuel. And there obviously is that adjustment period. So I found personally that using fasting to just get into that fat adaptation mode for me has worked well without kind of the resistance of having to bridge that gap, um, you know, fasting just does it uh, fairly easily um, and and just gets you through some of those pain periods of switching over to burning fat as fuel instead of carbs. Yeah. Yeah. Before you mentioned a little something about uh, grass finished beef or grass fed beef, could you talk a little bit about that and explain the importance of that to our audience? Yeah, absolutely. And, and Harrison, we can we can probably tag team this too. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of misinformation out there about grass fed versus grass finished versus regenerative. So I think number one, something we 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 really want to emphasize is that you need to do the best thing possible for your budget, right? So if you can get the grass fed, grass finished, regenerative, particularly directly sourcing it from a farmer that's incentivized to care about the health of you and the health of your family. That's definitely preferred. But if your budget may only allow for you to get ground beef or some beef from the grocery store that's corn finished, that's still better than 99% of products that are on the inner aisles of the grocery store. So like you should always optimize for your budget. Um, But a lot of the research that we've seen, um, we were actually just at a conference this week in Denver. In one of the presentations, they were talking about corn corn finished and grain finished beef versus grass-fed, grass-finished, and they were showing the profile of omega-6 to omega-3s. And I think, Harrison, I think right a lot of the grain-finished beef, it could be I could be from as high as 15 to 1, 20 to 1, omega-6 to omega-3, where I think most grass-fed, grass-finished is like 4 to 1, um, which is like a, which is just a much better profile for you. So it's much, it's much less inflammatory. I think there have also been some studies that have been done that the micronutrient profile is also higher in grass fed, grass finished beef. Um, and I think typically just the lifestyle for the cow is just, is better overall. The animal is less stressed out. Um, and that's why we just like to source from farms that have those regenerative practices because they're controlling every portion of the cow's life. They're probably finding a localized processor. And that's a big thing too, right? Is like because of this state of the cattle industry, you might have a rancher that's raising the cow, doing everything right, but they're sending them to this huge processing facility. So the cow is getting very stressed out, which is jacking up their omega-6 profile. And then you're eating that as the consumer. So it's very nuanced there, but I think that those are like some important distinctions. Um, Harrison, what did I miss there? Yeah, I just I think if you're talking about getting on the right track, this is probably a conversation that might be might be even a little bit too detailed where um I think you know uh grass fed grass finish is the ideal um way to be eating your eating and consuming your beef, but you know if you have to opt for that um grain finished 
uh, beef product, it gets you 80% of the way there. I do think that the nutrient profile is different. There's um, Utah State's uh, research department ha- has a, a few really, really um, great pieces on this that they're about to publish. Um, Stephen Van Fleet is uh, really in tune with this topic, and he talks about the nutrient quality of the grass-fed, grass-finished beef just being superior. And um, it's it's kind of a, a new area of science where people are starting to pay more attention to it. But I do also believe that if you're getting a product that only was uh, finished on on grains for 90 days, you're still probably 80 to 90 percent of the way there in terms of the nutrients, um, and you're still getting a great uh, protein source that uh, still provides you with what you know generally what you need. But if in the ideal world, if you are eating grass fed, grass finished, that's the way to go. Yeah, and part of the issue too, Rob, is that when you're buying your meat from the grocery store there's all these loopholes with labeling so that you can label a product as grass fed and you're in the grocery store and you're like, Oh great. I'm getting grass fed meat. But the problem is that you don't know if it's actually grass finished. You don't know what the product is finished on. We've had a few ranchers on the podcast that have mentioned that, um, you know, the loopholes are such that you can label a product as grass fed and it can be finished on like total mix rations that have like candy and Skittles into it. Um, and that's part of the thing with if you're buying your meat at the grocery store and you're not speaking directly to the rancher, you can't ask some of these crucial questions to re- to understand how the meat was actually raised, how it was finished. So that's why we're big advocates of trying to con- find local farmers, local ranches, these more hyper localized ways of eating, because then you can ask the questions that you need to ask and can verify that you're getting the best product for yourself and your family. Yeah, and, and I would be I, I would be more concerned with the antibiotics yeah. and. and- <laughs> Sorry. He's going off. Uh, yeah. He's an attack dog. Um, so they, um, yeah, I would be more concerned with the, the antibiotics and hormones and beef. Yeah. But that's, but, but, but that's the benefit Rob of actually, you know, buying your meat directly from the rancher is that you can verify like Harrison was asking, you can ask them how the cow was raised. You can ask them about the lineage. You can ask them about how they're finished. You can ask them, do they, you know, do they let their their cows be touched with vaccines or different types of medication? Um, just having that verification is is massive. Yeah, that, that's huge. Just for our, for our audience, that just to review the omega six uh, um, are the omega six are the bad kind, essentially the pro inflammatory ones that are found in the seed oils and also in in other food products and major omega-3 is the is the good type could you guys also clarify for us exactly what the difference between grass finished grass fed and regenerative uh specifically what what those mean yeah brett do you want to take the grass fed grass finished because i'll take the regenerative part because I, i actually think it probably should be stripped a little bit uh from the conversation the regenerative is just uh, a low input process in terms of how you raise your beef. And so you, when you talk about a regenerative farm, they're not using fertilizers, pesticides, uh, anything that would fall outside of nature's parameters to raise their beef. So they're going to be uh, rotationally grazing their cows in different pastures. And that regenerative farm is just, it, it's going to be a grass fed, grass finished beef. Um, the issue is there isn't really great labeling around regenerative. And so right now it's still kind of the very, very beginning of, of the labeling process around regenerative. So you probably won't even see it in a grocery store, but if you do go to a farm and they say that they're regeneratively raising their beef, you can, uh, you can assume, but you should ask, you know, what goes into that. And that is just a, a system where they're not, uh, they're, they're not incorporating any, any sort of hormones or anything into their beef, but the practice of regenerative agriculture is just no chemicals, grazing, uh, rotationally grazing uh, their beef so that they're basically living in line with nature. So one of the benefits of that too, I think a lot of times when we hear people talking about beef production and the problems with beef production is they think that environmentally beef is this very negative problem when it comes to the environment and uh, actually when you're raising these cattle on grasslands the way they're intended to be 
you're sequestering carbon back into the soil and helping repurpose a lot of the organic soil matter that really has been degraded over the past several decades from conventional farming. So regenerative regenerative agriculture is this topic that I think more people will begin to hear about. And a lot of it is just raising these animals in line with nature, but you're also going to hear about the soil quality improving, the health of the grasses improving. And it's all just this system that is basically uh, steering people towards eating meat that is really appropriately raised. Yeah. And speaking of the regeneration, Harry, why don't you tell um, Rob the story from that Taylor told us about Rome Ranch and implementing the bison into the land and how it regenerated the land there? Because it's pretty cool. Yeah. So we've become friends with uh, a bison ranch out in uh, Fredericksburg, Texas. And the the gentleman uh, and his wife, it's Taylor and Katie Collins. They started out as vegans and they've actually ended up transitioning away from that after some health problems. Uh, They're both triathletes and Katie was running into some serious health problems through the raw vegan diet that she was uh, eating. And they eventually realized that her diet was had a lot to do with that. And so they reintroduced animal products. At the time, they owned a vegan food company. They completely transitioned away from the vegan food company into a, a healthy animal-based snacks company. So they founded the Epic Provisions Company. I think uh, a lot of people will probably be f- familiar with that, which eventually sold to General Mills. And then they bought this ranch called the Rome Ranch out in Fredericksburg. And they bought it five years ago. And when they bought it, the land had been raised uh, or, or previously been used uh, for conventional agricultural practices. And so the land was desolate. They thought that it was going to take them 20 years to restore the soil quality, to get the grasses back to how they were you know, supposed to be. And their plan of attack was to introduce bison onto the land, to lay down hay so that the bison could go eat the hay and then recycle that hay into manure and refertilize the soil naturally. And within five years, they got the results that they thought that they were going to get over a 20-year time span. And a lot of that comes down to uh, just the natural processes that that they were able to restore on top of that land. And the experts all thought it was going to take much longer. And what they found was that the organic soil matter is now like basically back to a normal level and you know there's continually still improving but it looks like a you know we talked I, I talked to him and i'm like what have you noticed that's different and he's like observationally i've seen all new sorts of species come onto the land there's all sorts of birds and it's really starting to become a habitat again for these animals whereas previously they're like it was desolate out here it was a it was a dirt patch so they've um they've completely restored their grasslands and it's honestly a cool story that i think we'll hear more and more of as people start to get interested in this style of agriculture. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the cool thing about that story too, Rob, is that all the experts that Harry mentioned were telling Taylor and Katie that it was going to take them 20 to 30 years if they were lucky to regenerate the soil. And they did in about five years just by introducing her to bison onto the land. So that's like that definition of proof of work. Yeah, that sounds very familiar or reminiscent of another project I've, I'm familiar with. Uh, George Church is a geneticist at at Harvard, uh, but he's uh, involved with a company called Colossal, and they mm. want to um, basically uh, re-engineer woolly mammoths and recreate the genome of woolly mammoths and and uh, change elephants change elephants around to sort of resurrect a form of woolly mammoth. But the idea that one of the their arguments for doing it is they want to set up parks in the tundra in Siberia and, and Alaska. And the tundra is sort of barren soil. It's frozen all over. But they they have evidence, just like you're saying, by introducing these large uh, animals that uh, graze there. They pound the soil up. They chew up. They, they uh, mix up the soil. Their organic matter adds to the soil. And they can revive the tundra to a um, to uh, it'll still be cold, but uh, it changes the whole plant mixture and mm-hmm. brings new life to the area. And they're they're talking about setting up uh, instead of Jurassic Park, it would be Pleistocene Park, but it would be <laughs> with revived t- tundra tundra with mastodons or even with musk oxen and other large animals. But it, it's funny, mm-hmm. it's interesting how that works. So. 
back to what you were saying about um, uh, labeling. Uh, so mm. in the in the market, it's not going to be reliable if they say it's grass fed or grass finished. It's not like an organic seal uh, where where something's raised without pesticide pesticides. Is that true for regenerative label? Is that sort of uh, relaxed regulations if they say regenerative on the label as well? Yeah, there's no true labeling for regenerative. So I think that it's uh, right now, I think if anyone is really labeling regenerative, uh, there's no way to really uh, kind of actually uh, figure out if that's ex exactly what's happening on that farmland. So for for us right now, looking at anyone who's labeling regenerative, it's it, it could mean anything. So mm. there, yeah, there's definitely greenwashing, Rob, and there's also greenwashing to Harrison's point with even the grass fed labels, right? Like because it, it what you're really looking for is the grass finished aspect of it. Because if it's grass fed, grass finished, that means the cow is actually out in the pasture eating grass the entirety of its life before it was slaughtered. And the issue with some of these loopholes in the labeling is that it can be labeled grass-fed, right, where the cow is starting off its life for like the first eight months, drinking the mother's milk and then eating eating grass out in a pasture. But then it's getting transitioned over to a feedlot where it's going to get corn, soy, protein supplements, sometimes even like beef tallow too to really fatten the cow up. So we it gives it that like marbling that a lot of Americans are accustomed to before it gets slaughtered but then they're still able to label that grass fed. So the, the finishing part of the label is really what you're looking for, because then you can verify the cow was, was finished on, uh, on grass its entire life. Um, but part of the reason why it's so good to be able to buy from your farmer is that you can ask them these exact questions and you can even ask them, like, I think we we're talking on the, the, the slaughtering, the processing piece of the whole equation, you know, are they using a local processor? Is it small? How are they actually killing the animal? Because you might have a farmer that's doing a rancher that's doing everything the right way. They're raising them the right way. They're finishing them on grass. But when they're transporting the animal, they could get stressed out. And then you're kind of eating that stress and some of them um, and, and kind of taking in some of that omega-6 profile, too. So, you know, these are just all things that you can verify when you buy from a farm. And if you're not buying from a farm, you know, you can try and ask your local the, the butcher that's there. But nine times out of ten, they're not going to know. Yeah. And then one of the oh, sorry to cut you off, Rob, but no. one of the conversations we were having this weekend was with uh, Jason Rick, who who owns Rick Ranches out in Crawford, Colorado, and he was talking about the butchering process and even the even the flavor profile of some of these uh, cows changes through the butchering process because their cortisol spikes up so much. You can lose a lot of the flavor that you've inf infused through proper diet just through the butchering process because you jack up their cortisol through butchering in these big feedlot or or sorry not feedlot uh big butchering facilities um that that most people are using to to process their cows so um it, it's again another nuanced point but when you do really to to speak to what Brett was saying when you do go and engage with the person who's raising the meat it gives you all the different avenues and ways to ask the right questions to feel comfortable about how that animal is being raised and get the meat that is best for you and your family. So I think that oftentimes you can still get it at a really good price point if you're buying locally directly from your farmer too. One last point on uh, labeling before we leave that. I, I'm assuming that uh, the hormone-free or antibiotic-free labels are also inconsistent and there's no real regulation on that as well. Is that is that correct? No, I, I think those, those have to adhere to to um the actual labeling but there is some nuance to it as well which, which i think brett talked about which is you know you, you never really know what exactly uh is in some of the feed like there could be s things that they're putting in uh like we were talking to uh jason again and, and they have these salt lick uh blocks that they put on their their uh, grasslands that are oftentimes infused with hormones that cannot that that could be something that gets overlooked in the labeling process where um yeah you didn't inject them with hormones but you had this salt lake out on the pastures that had hormones in it so again it, that's like another little nuanced point but th those are definitely much more tightly regulated um but it really is just around kind of the shot and not other aspects of feed 
and um, that salt lick that I was talking about. Yeah, it, it it seems like for all sorts of reasons that we've been talking about that the, the really the best way to get the the healthiest quality uh, meat products is to connect with local farmers. And what's the best way to do that? What what do you guys recommend for that? Yeah, I think that um, there there are some websites that do it really well. Eatwild.com is a great website, too, where you can search for all your local farms by zip code. And they also offer a filter option where you can do beef, raw dairy, different types of products as well. Um, so that's so that's a great website that we like to that we like to use and point people in the right direction. Also, you know, the way that the U.S. is set up now, there's I would guarantee you that there's probably a farmer's market, if anyone's listening to this, but 15 to 20 minutes away. And there will typically be a few different types of local ranchers that are there. So you can you can go there, you can shake their hand, you can talk to them about all their different practices. And that's a great way just to meet people um, and some of these other local businesses that are doing things the right way. But I think those those are two great resources. Like when I moved out to San Diego, the first thing I did was I, you know, there aren't a ton of regenerative ranches out here, but I just started going to the farmer's markets and I ended up uh, building connections with two great ranches. And so what I do is I'll, I'll go there every Saturday and I pretty much have it budgeted out how much meat I eat. For, for a seven day period. So it's like, for me, it's like around 14 pounds, like two pounds of meat a day. And then I just throw in different combinations. So I'll get some ground beef. They also make this great ancestral blend where it's ground beef with some of the organs ground in there. Um, so for anyone that wants all the benefits of organ meats without the taste, the ancestral blend is like a great way to get that in there. And then I'll throw in some, some ribeyes and some strips and maybe even some chicken too, because I know they're not going to raise it with corn and soy. They're going to raise it out in the pasture the right way and feed it, you know, the the evolutionary consistent feed. But I think just doing both of those things um, is going to really set you up for success. Uh, Harry, are there any other websites that you that you use that you recommend? Um, I, I think, you know, checking out Force of Nature's website. They're 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 going to deliver nationally, but you can get a really good flavor for what a company who's doing it the right way looks like. And you know, Force of Nature is trying to build out and has built out a regeneratively sourced uh, supply chain for meat delivery, mm-hmm. and they're kind of on the the forefront of that. I think that they're pro- the leader in that. Um, there's another one, there's another direct to consumer meat delivery company called Walden local meat, which does things the right way. They're fantastic. They service the new England area. I've used them before, um, outside of just figuring out things through like a desktop analysis. I don't think there's any other way, any other better way than going to your farmer's market, connecting with farmers. And then we had this conversation this past weekend, which is, when you go to the farmer's market, ask the farmer if you can go to their ranch. If they won't let you onto their property, that should be a red flag. So if they're doing it the right way, they're going to let you on. They're going to let you come see the process, see how things are done, and they're going to be very open about it. So it's not to say that every uh, every rancher is doing things the right way. Uh, so you do do you do need to show up, ask ask them the right questions, get on their property if you can. And I think that peace of mind will go a long way. You know, you'll find your your one or two beef sources or or animal based product sources, and you'll be able to use them. You know, in perpetuity from there. Yeah. After uh, all of you have gone through these these both of you have gone through these health uh, challenges and and resolved brought your health back with with the various diets. I I wonder what have you. Um, what does your diet look like today? You mentioned a little bit about your spread. Uh, what? How would you describe your diet going forward as as or your nutrition? It's not a diet; it's a way of life. What What does it look like today? And you see yourself going forward with that? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think Harrison and I have both found pretty similar approaches to what's worked well for both of us and given us the most success. Um, I would define that as animal based. And what I mean by that is that we're probably both eating two to three large meals a day in animal protein, particularly beef, bison, red meat is the centerpiece of that due to the protein content, the fat content, and also just the number of micronutrients that you're getting. Like we're, we're trying to go for the most nutrient dense meals possible. Um, so like typically in the morning I'll wake up, 
Um, I'll have some water with some some electrolytes in it. We're, we use Element right now because there's a bunch of good sodium, uh, potassium, and magnesium in there. So I'll do like a big glass of Element, and then I'll have a coffee with uh, with some type of heavy cream in there just to front load my fat a little bit. And then if I need to eat, which I typically don't, I'll do some eggs just to get some protein in there. Um, you know, sometimes I'll I'll heat up a cup of bone broth and maybe throw in a little bit of butter or ghee to front load my fat. So it it really just depends. But then for lunch, I'm probably eating like a pound of a pound of red meat, um, maybe some pickles, like something that's like a non-toxic vegetable that sits well in the stomach. And then for from there, that typically holds me over for five to six hours. And then for dinner, it's 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 pretty similar. It's like a it's a pound of pound of red meat again. You know, sometimes I'll mix it up with some variety, some chicken, some fish, things like that. People ask us that all the time. It's like I I I enjoy fish, but I just find that red meat digests the best in my stomach. I enjoy the taste. It's very convenient. You know, I could throw it in the air fryer. I could throw it in a cast iron, have that have a basically a gourmet meal ready to go, you know, in, in five to, to 10 minutes. So and then and, and then sometimes, you know, we'll throw in some things like raw dairy. There are a ton of studies about how nutrient dense all the fat soluble vitamins that are in raw dairy. You know, sometimes I'll throw in some fruit. Sometimes I'll throw in some honey. Um, and then if I ever go off my diet because I'm traveling, I use that carnivore approach to get me back to my baseline. Um, and I think that's really important is understanding the, the inputs to make your stomach feel the best. So if you ever do get some inflammation, you know what approach to follow to get to get you back to your base. And, and you guys both, you haven't had any relapses with the uh, ulcerative colitis or any of the inflammatory changes. It's, it's just been smooth sailing then with this, with this nutritional plan. Is that yeah, right? yeah. I, I haven't had any relapses. I mean, I will say that there, there are times where I've gone out to eat and I know that I've gotten laced with like seed oils just because it's pretty much in every single conventional restaurant, you know, or sometimes I'm not, you know, I'm not a complete zealot. Like I'll go out and have some pizza every once in a while, things like that which I think is important, right? It's like, you don't, if like, I think you need to define what success looks like. So if you're eating anywhere from 14 to 21 meals a day and say two of those meals, you go off your plan, you're still batting over 90%. Like you're going to make a ton of progress just from that too. But I do know that if I'm going to go off my diet, I'll probably pay the price a little bit. So the next day I might just eat meat or I might just have some bone broth with some fat in it which is really nourishing on the gut microbiome and will get me back to that baseline of where I need to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You guys have done some amazing work with uh, the meat mafia and launching this in a, in a really short time frame. I want to congratulate you on that and the, the great things you're doing, especially with the podcast and the newsletter and, and I understand there's some, some, even some more things uh, coming in the pipeline that uh, we'll be hearing about in the, in the coming months. It's, it's uh, so exciting. Um, maybe for our listeners who um, are on audio only, what's the best way that that uh, people can reach you? If you could just tell us the URL or social media contacts, we'll put it in the show notes as well and include it there. Yeah, we really grew through Twitter. So I think our Twitter handles are the best place to still find us. So uh, Brett is Mr. Salazzo and I'm Carney Clemenza on Twitter. And uh, those names are both godfather names. So we we really started writing online and wanted to have that mafioso personality to, to come behind some of the topics that we were going to be talking about. So um, we were just having fun with it. So that's that's a good place to find us. Our website's on there. Um, we're the meat mafia uh d- dash ghost that's linked in our twitter bio so you can find those and then also uh we're on instagram too we're we're working hard to get our instagram up and running uh so we've got some good clips up there too for people to check out our podcast if they don't want to sit down and watch the full thing yeah and are you on youtube also right with your podcast is video also right yeah we are. Yes. Yeah. We're trying, we're trying to upload more to, to YouTube as well, but we've got a lot of different balls up in the air. But I think between like Twitter's where a lot of our longer form content is, and then we're, we're really ramping up the podcast a lot. We doubt we've done close to 90 episodes since February. And obviously we're honored to have you on, have a lot of doctors that are advocates of the low carb space, regenerative ranchers, um, you know, people that are really trying to lead the movement of helping to correct our food system and, and get people healthier ultimately. Yeah, this. 
Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I, I think both Brett and myself are really excited to have in-person events where we can connect with people like you, Rob, and, and other people who are advocates for this way of eating and living. Just to share the message, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it can get lost through the audio, video, online formats. When you're in person, you really get a flavor for how people are and like the excitement around what's happening. And we went to KetoCon at the beginning of the month. And it was so great just meeting people that we'd connected with online. And I think that we would love to host or we're planning on hosting an in-person event here soon. So um, keep an eye out for that. That'll be um, something we're working on for the fall. Yeah, definitely keep keep me posted and we'll post it on our social media. But I, yeah, I want to definitely echo what you're saying. Uh, just attending some of these uh, metabolic health conferences. I went to one in the spring up in Santa Barbara and having it in person and just connecting with people and feeling the sense of community and just those connections. It's, it's, I mean, Zoom is great. Uh, this is great to do this now, but in person adds a whole new level and uh, looking forward to connecting with you guys face to face. So Thanks again for taking the time to spend an hour with us today. We, I, I'm, I love the work you're doing. It's, it's great. You're making the world a better place. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks, Robin. It's been an honor. No, this is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking of it because of something you have seen here. If you find this to be of value of you, please hit that like button and subscribe to support the work we do on this channel. Also, we take your suggestions and advice very seriously. Please let us know what you'd like to see on this channel. Thanks for watching and we we'll hope to see you next time!